0: Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. On this show, we aim to interview leaders from a range of performance disciplines within the tactical performance space to help you improve performance at the individual and organizational level. Now, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the show, guys. You'll notice we don't run any ads here, but we do ask for you to pay a simple and small fee. And that fee is this. If you find value in the show, and I'm pretty confident you are, because we have some incredible guests each week, then please share the show. You know, if you're chatting with friends and colleagues about education and development, please recommend us. As I said, you know, we don't run ads here and we continue to grow organically through you, the listener. So please spread the word and help us get this information out to a lot more people. Now, in this week's episode, I sit down and speak to Sebastian Lavois. Seb is the former Divisional Sergeant Major for the province of British Columbia. He's a 20-year Royal Canadian Mounted Police veteran. He spent 12 years as a member of the Lower Mainland District Emergency Response Team. Seven years of this was spent as the team leader. Sebastian is also an entrepreneur and currently involved in several business ventures. He is the CEO of Raven Strategic, a consultant company specialised in performance coaching and leadership training. He's also a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt and co-owner of Ascension Martial Arts. If you want to see Sebastian on YouTube, you can check him out in a couple of documentaries, namely Sheepdog CrossFit Murph, A Tribute to Humanity, and Survival TV, A Police Perspective. In this episode, Seb talks about his career in law enforcement, the importance of mindset in law enforcement and BJJ, current demands placed on officers, and how this is impacting training and leadership in special tactics units. Good morning, Seb, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Good morning, John.
0: Great to have you on, Seb. I know um, I've been following you for a little while on social media and some of the stuff you've been doing uh obviously we were trying to get this set up uh, a little while ago with the podcast but we had some back and forth and just you had some couple of setbacks as well mate but you know here we are now
1: yeah man happy to be here good stuff man good sure. certainly had some steps step, steps back
0: <laughs> yeah, man. but like anyone who's been following your story online dude you know once again just uh, you you prove that warrior spirit of just uh dealing with those hard setbacks and then you know being back early into training and stuff now which has been really inspiring to see
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yep. Yeah, there's only one way to go, right?
0: Definitely, man. Definitely. And mm-hmm. it's, it's awesome to have you on, dude. For anyone who hasn't come across you, Seb, and you know, your career path, you know, can you just tell us where you started out and where you're currently at?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was a part-time military as a youth. I called it a youth because I was you know, 18 um, or 18, 19, 20. And... Uh, 2001, I joined the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I was in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for the better part of 20 years, to be exact, 19364 days okay. uh, for no particular reason, <laughs> and um, most of which was spent in, uh, in tactical units, either in a covert capacity or um, a full-time um, SWAT unit, so to speak, which I spent uh, about well, almost 13 years in as a team leader for seven years, uh, full-time and um, I ended my career as the divisional Sergeant Major, which was um, the Sergeant Major and sort of, I don't like to use the word in charge, but I wasn't in charge of the province, but my job was to obviously look, look after our police officers, about 80, 8,200 of them uh, in the province of British Columbia. And um, being the that key link between management and the rank and file and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so that was my job for the last two years. I did that from uh, 2019 after leaving the team all the way to 2021, March, nine months ago, where I moved on and uh, opened a consulting company called Raven Strategic that has, as we discussed earlier, many, many umbrellas and many, uh, many, uh, you know, may- what's the word many many things that i that i like to do and i enjoy doing uh, that don't necessarily make sense to anybody ever, <laughs> to anybody around <laughs> that's
0: so awesome. that's where i'm at mm-hmm. that's awesome dude that's a great career path dude and obviously you're saying you were in you served in the military briefly and then you made the mm-hmm. move into law enforcement what, what made you want to make that switch away from the military and then pursue a career more in law enforcement rather than just staying with like a career prospect in the, the military
1: yeah, the military was, um, was one of those things that uh, was uh, you know surprised me to a certain extent. Um, I did it as a stepping stone for law enforcement. I thought some of the experiences would definitely cross over and, and, and would um, help me being a little more squared away, so to speak. I was pleasantly surprised to, to, to know that I actually really loved the military life, and I considered briefly. Um, you know, changing my plans to, to go to military, to stay the military route. Unfortunately, timing being everything, at the time in the Canadian forces here, um, it was a dead, it, it, it was sort of a, you know, a, a dead era where there was really nothing um, operationally relevant going on. I mean, there, there obviously were people doing things and those things were important, but uh, collectively, it wasn't a great time to be in. It, it wasn't well supported. On, you know on the political side and the, uh, and fiscally and so um, when the, uh, when the letters came in for two different uh, potential career path one that was sending me deeper into the, the military side and the other one that was essentially my acceptance in the Royal Canadian Mount Police I stuck with the original plan just based on that mm-hmm. knowing what I know now, and 911 hit you know a, a couple months after i graduated um probably could have could have been different uh, yeah. i don't know but um it is what it is man things don't happen cuz you want them to they happen cuz they have to
0: definitely man definitely yeah. and i mean like for someone who's been following you for a while so like you know Really interested in the fact of the information you've been putting out, obviously you're a jiu-jitsu guy as well, and I'm keen to dive into that a little bit later on and stuff and like the, the physical training side of things. But one of the big things that's always drawn me to your, your work that you've been putting out has been a lot more around, um, you know, your leadership stuff and your mindset work as well, which I think is often overlooked because it's a bit more of a messy area compared to like the training side where you can just switch off and just smash through it, I think, a lot of times. um. You know what? What what really drew you into working more on that mindset sort of piece as well?
1: Hmm. That's a that's actually a, a, a quite a complex. It's a simple question, but it's quite the complex uh, answer uh, because my mom was a psychologist, so I I grew up, um, you know, with with someone that um, put a lot of emphasis on the mental side mm-hmm. of things. Um, she was not only as a a psychologist, she also was an ultimate empath. So she had kind of the two, um, you know, angles like, and it's not that it's not that they're mutually exclusive, but um, it just made her a very special human. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, she, she passed away in 2009. So I, I say, um, you know, was, Um, but um, yeah. So this is where it all started. For me, there was already some work being done. Um, I was—I had read, doc, you know, Doctor Joseph Murphy's some of his work on the power of the subconscious mind and and those types of things. By the time I was nine, wow. you know, so so I was I was um, uh, inoculated or um, or, or um, a- enrolled in that sort of you know lo- uh, way of thinking for many many years. And then, um, evidently, as I moved through my careers and having seen. Um, it, there's kind of two aspects to this. I mean, if we're talking about the, the, the side, the side of me, which is the, the driven sort of, you know, determined side, we never quit all those things, but then there's the other side, which is the side of the wellness and, 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 and how do we, how do we go about uh, keeping our people healthy? So those things for me really mesh together. Mm-hmm. And I, um I, you know, I've been involved um, it, sort of in that realm, you know, for years, just by way of my, of my duties. I mean, whose job is it, but the leadership to take care of their people.
0: Yeah, definitely. definitely. So what what is your approach to the, the mindset work as well, and particularly with, um, you know, within the line of work within uh, policing, you know, you're going into some tough situations there as well. So how are you approaching your, either your, your preparation mindset as you're going to the call or, you know, like away from that, you know, to get yourselves ready for it, just around, you know, Stepping into a conflict situation and you know either being able to uh, get your mind around that or just you know that de-escalation side of things.
1: Sure. Like on the way to the call is too late. You mm-hmm. know, like yeah, yeah, you can you can try to put some band-aids on there, but you're driving with lights and sirens and you're resp- you're, you're processing a million pieces of of, of of information, most of which inaccurate, and and trying to make sense of something that's uh, seemingly chaotic and senseless. So I would say um, where we fail often in the law enforcement uh, realm uh, and also in the military realm is that pre-operation preparation, right? So so you prepare for the things that you are going to go to and the things that you are going to see. And also you ought to prepare for the things that may come up from it after, which include being wronged by somebody leading you or being wronged by a peer or, you know, uh, the things that we don't prepare for because what we have found is that uh, police officers will react uh, to, to 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 that almost more than they will to the actual event. So oftentimes they're mentally prepared and the, pair, the punch you prepare for is better than the punch you don't prepare for. Okay. And they will prepare for the actual events. I'm going to policing. I know what to expect. I know, I know some of the things I'll be seeing. I know those things will be ugly. I know I'll be called upon making some tough decisions and I may have to use force and there will be some consequences. And you know those are things that you can really reconcile with and and move on with your career what you what what's really hard to reconcile with is how I'm going to be treated after you know and 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 if I'm being wronged by the organization so to speak or if I have the perception that I am then obviously organizationally we're not doing a good job of 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 doing whatever it is that we're doing um, if if the person is feeling wronged, even if they are not and they have been, don't get me wrong, uh, but it's um, it's just one of those it's just one of those things where you know we're we're in a, in a tactical setting, for instance. This is a constant mentally prepared, mentally prepared for some of the things that we're going to mentally prepared and physically prepared through the scenario based training. Through, uh, you know, I don't like to call it stress inoculation because you're not truly inoculated to stress, but you actually, you know, um, let's call it an exposure, Mm -hmm. uh, a voluntary exposure to stress where to to stressors where you, you know, go in and and do the things that we are required to do. And then when the call comes, you, you are prepared and now you're falling back to your level of training rather than trying to rise to the occasion. Um, you know to steal uh, an already overused thing
0: yeah yeah that's interesting and with regards to those stress exposures and stuff like when you were like team leader and how were you trying to scale that up for guys so they're again the sufficient you know uh, stimulus of that stress response but not over it at the time you know so it was just suitable for that level
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, there's methodologies of training, well-established methodologies of training that I have nothing to do with creating that are already been around for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having a full-time dedicated training unit that is trained in those areas. So it's not just, okay, here's Bob Frank and Silvio, and they will, you know, um, oversee the training of a full-time tactical unit with an incredible mandate. No, this this was a professional endeavor as, on, on our team. Um, and they had sent our trainers to some train-to-trainer course. And we we're talking about some very high-level courses with some very knowledgeable people on the, on the intellectual side as well as on the physical side, excuse me. But, um, but when, they come, when they return, me as a team leader, my job is now to enable them, is not to tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. It's to enable them and, and make sure that we stay within the reasonable boundaries. And keeping our people healthy now with that i wasn't leading robots i was reading very capable and very intellectually capable humans that would tell me if i was off right so so if we were there were other ncos that were there to provide me feedback from the you know from the boys and the boys obviously were there to 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 also speak for themselves so we just had bilateral uh, communication and make sure that we were on track with what we were trying to achieve and how it would reflect operationally. And uh, and and because we were so busy, we got we you know we got to reassess the way we did things after each operation or after an operational setting or after a mission set, whatever the case may be.
0: That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, so it's yeah. Yeah, I really like that term as well there, Seb. Just about the, the bilateral leadership there across the board within the team. I think, you know, from what I've seen, what I've read in the past of, you know, some guys, especially in high-performance teams like that, where everyone is generally a stud to have made into those sort of teams. It's just like, right, okay, I don't want to be seen to be wrong if I'm leadership and stuff, whereas you've demonstrated more of that, like, humility factor, like, right, I'm, I'm willing to receive feedback up the chain as well.
1: You know what's interesting with that is, and people often say that, Say that to me, and 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 not not that specifically, but um, um, you know, I've had I've had many people in in leadership positions leading people. Um, I don't want to say of of lesser level, but I want to say, uh, you know, more problematic people, people that haven't been through selections, people that haven't been through extensive training, or perhaps that don't even have the ability to, or whatever the case may be, yeah. just lower performers overall and everybody everybody has their priorities in a, in an organization and and so be it right but um what they often would say to me you know it must be super easy to lead these guys and i'm like man like, just imagine holding you know 22 huskies or 24 of them you yeah. know pulling in all directions and and um and and all of them are very capable of leading right so I think the prospect of me not taking ownership or not listening to them or is, it's just on my particular, in my particular context would have been completely impossible. Okay. They would have, they would have, you know, they would have essentially taken me out, you know, like, uh, and, and I, and I mean that respectfully. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. Like there's people, there's people you can bully around and there, and there's other people you'll lead. You'll never be able to bully around. Right. Yeah. And, and I was never that way anyways, but, but if you were to be, it would be a very miserable place to be.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely. And like you say like everyone in that team is capable and has that leadership quality to them as well. So how is it that you can get those boys on uh, side with you as well? to be like, look, I know where you're coming from with your opinions on this, or I look on this mission set, but this is the route we're going to go. How did you manage to get everyone onto that same page with you as well?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we, you know, it all starts with trust. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're a trusted leader, that's entrusted with a position rather um, getting buy-in is easier. You have, you know, in my case, I, I started as an operator, obviously, and I, and I demonstrated um, consistently demonstrated competence through, you know, even the, the very first thing I was asked to do on the team. If it was watching a doorknob or 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 lying there and, and getting an arc somewhere on the back of a of a stronghold or or going to get a radios and make sure they were recharged or whatever I did. Uh, during my career developments, um, I have never overlooked anything I was ever asked to do. Right. Because I understood the, the, the bigger picture and, and, and how impactful the things that are seemingly innocuous can be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, doing all the little things right eventually moves to you having, a, you know, a, a leadership um, chip. in in play it might be very minor it might be you and 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 a dog handler it might be you and another person on the you know on the on the rear of a residence on a containment point or whatever the case may be but ultimately this turns into two and six and nine and then it turns into multi operations simultaneously and then it turns to you having nine radios and three phones and (laughs) you know just managing managing chaos um you, you know and, and, and it just goes that way. The, the, the trust of the team grows with you as a leader. And um, on our team, it was very much the case. Nobody came from the outside to lead. It would have been very difficult to compete uh, because of the, the very broad mandate and the full-time capacity of the team, but also having the ability to be there because the boys or, or your people want to see you there and also management wants to see you there as well. So you're capable of managing the two sides uh is where is where i found myself and and that was um you know very grat- uh, gratifying so, you know gra- uh, professionally gratifying definitely,
0: definitely. and that, that's an interesting thing. like you say like later stage career of being sergeant major for the, the Roman police there and being that link between those on the ground and upper management as well um there's obviously different opinions from the guys who are on the ground versus management and just like, how do you drive that forward as well as a huge thing? Um, I know, like, obviously you say you, you retired back in 2019. It was you finished up? Oh, sorry. When was the last year? Retired,
1: in, retired nine months ago.
0: Nine months. My apologies, Seth. No problem. Obviously, with regards to police and, you know, the world over now, the, the landscape is changing a lot with regards to just, dealing with public perception of like you know how people are interacting now with the police you know what what challenges are you finding that you know especially at the later stage of your career there if the guys on the ground and like management is there a mishmash there at all or is everyone generally experiencing the same sort of things there
1: first of all you know um i think we'd be would be wrong not, not to mention that um that the, the political the political context so to speak mm-hmm. and and the the ramifications on the various police forces is really dependent on where you are yeah because the world is yes it's gotten difficult for for everyone uh, you know with epidemics and 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 before that with some with some high profile cases and but um but each con each country really has a different set of problem yeah. when it comes to their law enforcement right so it's really hard to for me to speak to obviously i know some of the issues in the uk i know some of the issues in, in, in the states that we are that are you know very uh, well known because they're so covered um, and we have our own um, set of issues here in the country my job was to essentially continue uh, informing the canadian public through various medias which included podcasts and 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 guest speaking appearances and 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 so on um, that uh, the bulk of the police work that was being done in the country by our police officers daily was exceptional and that they never heard of it and that it wasn't very popular to even point it out, you know, in the media because uh, that doesn't really sell papers and papers don't really sell anyways. But, but you know, if you're, if you're putting positive stuff on them, they, they sell even less. And, and, and so, um, there will there will always be there will always be allegations that are unsubstantiated. There will always be knuckleheads that mm-hmm. shouldn't be police officers, and and they should be dealt with accordingly. But the majority and the bulk of the people doing the work on the ground is working their tail off, and they're getting zero recognition ever. Yeah, either. And I'm not talking about like oh medals or these types of things. This is a an, inter, an internal process. That's our job as leaders to make sure that our people are being recognized. But what I what I what I speak of is there is no real rec, um, recognition in terms of uh, in in the eye of the public.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, like. Because if you're not telling the stories and if you're not informing the public of what's actually going on out there and how business is being conducted and some of the great, the great things that are being done, well, how are they to know? And then all that's left is the negative media coverage. Um, and then and, and that's not very conducive to, you know, uh, being impressed with what's going on out there. So we did a organizationally, not just us, but law enforcement is really bad for that Um being out there, proactively speaking to the public and having these conversations, bypass the media altogether and just go out and 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 and, and get the information out on what's being done, you know, out out there. And I think um, during my time on, while well, during my my term as the sergeant major, I was perfectly timed to be able to be a voice for our members. Um, that were growing increasingly frustrated and when it got really really bad for a time it was family conflicts and you know brothers and sisters turning into onto each other because one was a cop and um, we were just shaking our heads going what the is going on here you know and 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 despite having some issues here in the country, most of them, most of our issues here in the country are historical, uh, but there, there's, there still are some issues, but I mean, you can't compare them with some of the issues that were encountered at the time in the U S for example, and the U S has a whole bunch of other challenges, which yeah. I wouldn't want to be any part of like dealing with all the weapons they're dealing with all the time. And just like, you know, but, um, but yeah, ultimately I think, our people here in the country were looking at what's going on on the U.S. side, and they were getting frustrated with policing. And we're like, "Wait, hold on. We're not. This is not even an, you know a standard operating procedure here, or we don't. That's not even a thing, or it, it's not even an issue. Or and so we were fighting a war on the various fronts where some of this information that came through wasn't even accurate to our current reality. So, <laughs> so we had to uh, to do some uh, some realigning of the uh, of the knowledge base definitely
0: dude and I think it's like you say there sometimes people are just in, influenced by the global political side of things and just what's going on in one country that seems to think it's it's directly applicable to what's going on theirs as well and I think you've done a great thing there you're saying about highlighting the, the great work you guys are doing and the recognition towards officers who are on the ground who are doing a great job day in day out is is huge um but like for the guys you're saying for that, that bad patch they went through as well you know and obviously that sounds horrendous of you know conflict in in uh, people's houses with regards to family members just because they've chosen to wear the uniform you know did you see anything with regards to you know guys uh, you know well, officers in general going into difficult situations went out on the job and tying us back into that mindset piece of you know being able to be prepared for it but then suddenly maybe having that that niggling self down the back of like if I get in the use of force um, scenario here to either defend myself or to you know um um you know handcuff a suspect you know what what's the public perception going to be of me here and does that therefore put them at greater risk as the officer going into that situation
1: yeah absolutely and i think i'd be lying if i if i said that this wasn't the case i mean officers you know um as trained as they might be and we know that in general, um, a lot of our officers are under trained and under there's underfunded instead of, you know, let's cut their budget, we should probably increase it. Yeah. But um, who am I? Um, but yeah, you know, we, we became aware of a few of a few situation. And those are the ones, of course, those are the ones that we heard about um, where use of force was and, and, and to be to be accurate with my statement, we need to understand and as the as the public, we need to understand that generally speaking, police officers use a lot less force than they are justified to. Mm-hmm. Period. I and and I you know, I'll repeat that. Police officers generally use a lot less force than they are legally justified to. And that is just a fact. Yeah. And 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 we have found it we have tracked that, you know, through uh, documentation and through some uh, use of force follow-up, follow-ups, and we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of forms that are, you know, coming in with the detail of the information that we're receiving and we're going sifting through this information and we are corroborating that fact that, wow, this probably should have been a lethal force, you know, uh, deployment, but it wasn't, or this should have been a baton strike and it wasn't, you know, and so we're able to say, unequivocally that our police officers are and, and I can I can see that it's exactly the same in the UK because I'm watching them do things and I'm like, oh my God, like they just, you know, they're and they're so handcuffed and then and, and anyways, let's not even launch into this but um, but it makes their job very, very difficult and you can tell that there is a, sec- a second guessing that's occurring there. And yes, you know, I can get into a a fatal shooting or I can get or I may be justified to do certain things right now. But my family, everybody will be dragged in the mud for the next three years. And Mm. how is that impacting the mere fact, even if this was just a contemplation, it's at the worst possible time. You are not focused on what you should be doing right now. So it may not have a a direct operational impact, uh, although it is likely to. Um, it may not, and if it doesn't and you're able to kind of set that aside and, and continue on with what it is that you have to do in order to get the job done safely, um, it, still, it still will impact you, you know, in a way. So I think um, for us, having those conversations and, and, and as leaders, to, for the members to know that if they actually do what they are justified legally justified to do, in light of the totality of the circumstances that they're facing, and they will be supported by management, and and is is key in preventing those issues. Mm-hmm. If if there is a, you know a, a different political climate, organizations get a little bit you know walk around on eggshell uh, on eggshells, and um, and the management side of the house starts throwing their members under the bus you are going to see a, a severe increase in those cases mm-hmm. because they now know and i will take you know new york as an example they now know that nobody will have their backs regardless how justified they were to act the way they did in a lawful execution of their duties and i'm not talking about excessive force issues or any of that like that's a completely separate ball game i'm talking about the day-to-day operation of the of the masses mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, and it's, it's tough if you don't have that support of upper management of the organization in there as well. Um, and as you're saying there, like having officers second guess themselves on calls is crazy. Because like I say, we live in very much you know cell phone culture now, where everyone's got their phone out, instantly recording everything. You know, so it's tough for officers going into situations where someone is, you know, I'll say in quotations here, is videoing the situation, but is actively engaging in that situation putting the officer at risk because they've inserted themselves into what is just a could be a standard arrest and is putting everyone at risk at that point as well which is uh, challenging and um, with regards to the mindset piece then you know are you um with the training of officers now is there more of a focus on that around like helping officers just to try and overcome that second guessing when they walk into those scenarios as well. But look, you may be having this going on in the back of your mind. This is how you need to overcome it. And, you know, you are justified in these reasons.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, from my exposure and from what I have seen, I mean, I wasn't involved directly with the training, but I certainly knew and had lots of friends that were working the training piece. And yes, it it did impact the way they delivered the material. It did impact um, a reiteration that, you know, use of force isn't popular, use of force, you know, we, we, could, we, we've, we could conduct some tests, some baseline testing here, and we could do absolutely anything as police officers, and it would always be seen as abusive or excessive. Use of force is by nature, not popular. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and if you've ever been anywhere in a public place where a fight breaks out right next to you, and the adrenaline, the ensuing adrenaline dump that gets into your bloodstream, interpersonal conflict is, you know, uh, feared. It, it is. It is it's feared by the majority of people. It's one of the most, it's one of the most um, widespread phobia and, and, and conflict in general. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's for the sake of the survival of the species that we don't do that to each other, do those things to each other. So when you are watching a police officer do a job and use of force never look great, and even if the person is well-trained and let alone if the person isn't well-trained and now any use of force is looking excessive, um, you, you know, it's going to be really, really hard for the public to have the perception that force was appropriate unless you have professional understanding of the inner working of law enforcement mm. tactics and procedures, right? And so, and so, yeah. it's just—it really shouldn't—it shouldn't, shouldn't change much because we're already expected to be um, scrutinized for for this. And now with the extra scrutiny, I think a reiteration of that was just critical. And I know it happened. Yeah, definitely. But again, I mean, just not to beat a dead horse, but the leaders have much more to do with. How? Because we can teach, we can tell them all kinds of stuff, you know, and they will come out of the training room and they have their own brain and their own processing and they will tell us that we're full of shit or we, <laughs> or they will walk out and, and know that there is actual value behind what we've told them. And because we have demonstrated that we can be trusted organize, as an organization is what yeah. I'm referring to, not necessarily individually, but I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. Having that, that that knowledge and that trust within your organization that you'll have your best interests at heart is, is a huge thing. And just trying to keep that and promote that is a big, big thing, dude. Um, one of the things I want to jump on Seb, is obviously, you know, you're a martial artist. Um, you, you've got your your black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu now. Um, you know, you've always posted quite a lot on your, your stuff with regards to your training and like your mindset work and stuff around your time on the map. When when did you get involved in BJJ? Was it once you entered into into the police force, or were you involved in martial arts prior to that?
1: Yeah, so I I, I started martial arts when I was three. So my I, my mom was a single mom, and I didn't have a dad. And she was like, "He's gonna get he's gonna get beat up. So let's uh, let's give him some to do." I, I still got beat up, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom, but um, but yeah, so. Essentially, uh, I started in traditional martial arts because you know at the time is 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 what we um, and there's still a great amount of value in it, anyways. But uh, at the time is is what we knew. That's preceding, you know, uh, MMA and, and UFC and and and, um, and knowing, you know, what we know now uh, about about martial arts. But um, but yeah. So, um, and about. I would say seven or eight i started kind of getting involved in the, into the striking um primarily mm-hmm. and then by the time i was you know 12 14 or in my teens i was doing in my teens teens as a young adult i was doing mostly muay thai uh, which is a striking art yeah. um and i was traveling to thailand to go train and recreationally i wasn't uh, a big um, fighter or anything like that again I did have the scrap, the odd scraps, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, a thing for me necessarily. It was just, uh, I really enjoyed the training side of things. I really enjoyed the mindset side of things. So anyways, uh, Jiu Jitsu didn't come until, well, there was some ground fighting, you know, rough, rough housing growing up. Cause that was very much a reality of, of my life. I was much, much smaller than everybody else. And it was consistently fighting <laughs> for a position. So, which was good. Um, and then eventually i got into b j j in two thousand and what was it seven or eight yeah it's been it's been it's been fifteen years anyways it's been fifteen years so uh, around the two thousand and seven mark if my math is any accurate um and um it, but but really you know being involved in a, in a, in a martial arts and actually dedicated yourself to it or two different things. I wasn't, I did not dedicate myself to, to, to jujitsu until probably purple, uh, my purple belt, you know, where, where I really took seriously my training and, and, and made sure that regardless of what happened, I was there four, five, six times a week, you know, not, um, not, Twice or once a week, or once and then skip three weeks and go there twice, and and because that's sort of what it was initially. Um, so my progression, of course, was was slowed down because of that, and I don't mean belt uh, progression, but I mean certainly skill progression wasn't what it could have been had I dedicated myself. But I was a brand new team leader, I was a brand new operator, I was working, you know, businesses, all this stuff, so. You only have so much, so much time and so much energy to go around. Right. So you're going to have to make some
0: calls.
1: (laughs) So the last, uh, the last uh, three, three, four years, um, I've been on the mats daily if I can, if -hmm. I can help it. And, um, and, and now even with this medical setback, I was, you know, dealt, um, I'm back on the mats again. So, which is great.
0: That's awesome to see, dude. I mean, again, you know, involved like back and forth you're saying with your JITS uh, journey and then again serious regards to just consistency of training at Purple onwards um you know how did the, how did the, the JIT side of things you know apply to the work you were doing as a team leader and now within special tactics as well and you know were were other were, guys in the team training or is that something of your guys involved in just because of your involvement
1: no we uh, there is a strong emphasis on the combatives uh, in on the team on our team specifically and I know on other teams there there also is here in the country. Um, our program was good and it was it was consistently putting our people through the ringers and teaching them the things that they need to know to perform the duties safely and uh, one of the one of the benefits of having that confidence in your abilities but having the not a not a false sense of confidence but a a sense of confidence that is based upon the fact that you know you've spent the time preparing Mm -hmm. and that you are capable of doing certain things at a certain level right and when that happens doing those things at that level becomes less of less um there is no compensation going on there. You know, like I need to prove that I'm tough, you know, lions be lions, man. Lions don't walk around telling other people they're lions. Like Mm -hmm. they, they might be kissing the missus, you know, sleeping under a tree or whatever. But if you poke it, it's a lion, right? Like in, in, and you'll get the lion. So it's exactly what I really like about um, the majority of our people that were very competent in the physical realm in a combatives realm, is it took everything to get him riled up, mm-hmm. you know, like just they could control chaos and they can do so calmly and, and, and have that self-confidence and never a need for overcompensation, as well as having somebody overreacting to something actually becomes somebody else's problem eventually. And that's a thing that's not often discussed. Yeah. But if you're, if you're sitting around a house on an armed and barricaded or some sort of suspect, is, or some sort of suicidal person or, and, 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 and you are doing everything you can to negotiate with them a peaceful surrender and you, ach- you achieve the peaceful surrender based upon certain things such as, look, you will not get hurt, you will not get... And then somebody goes on heavy-handed and that person ends up being hurt. You've essentially lied to them to get them out and, they, and you won this time. But next time, when somebody tries the same tactics, it's not going to work, even if they're actually being truthful, that they you know will try to to make sure that that person doesn't get hurt. So your problem now can be solved. but are you solving the problem as a whole? You know, if you've established a a, a, a trust there and a, a certain pattern, and the person will find themselves in a situation again, with another officer or with another person, there will be an attempt at negotiating. And if the experience has been that they've been lied to and somebody went in um, heavy handed, somebody else will be paying for your oversight. And that's the same if they get a beating roadside, mm-hmm. next thing next thing you know, some 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 other member, perhaps alone at night, maybe less physically capable is going to end up paying for your shenanigans, right? So everything, everything has an equal and opposite reaction. So it was very important for me, for my, for my people, to be competent. Mm-hmm. I went on a diatribe there. I apologize.
0: That's all good, man. I mean, I agree I'm saying percent. It's a great concept to think of as well, of just like you know the repercussions of what your actions are going to have on some other member of the forces' interaction with that that member of the public as well. And I think that's something that gets missed quite a lot, dude. And I like that fact as well. That you say, you know, lines will be lines. And it's not like a lot of the martial arts I've been around who are very competent individuals. There's no ego, there's no posturing or anything like that. They will just very calm, very you know just good level sort of person say of that where it's the, the ego branded guys who are walking around telling you they're 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 alpha males. It's where you start rolling your eyes, you know but um yeah that's that's a massive piece of thing,
1: yeah, I mean, posturing is the bodyguard of insecurities right mm-hmm. it's it's just and, and and in north america i know for us and and i know i'm sure it's the same on on your side as well um you know there are some countries where there is zero posturing mm-hmm. because if you do you're dead yeah. you know like it's just you, you go to jamaica and try that see what happens right but in north america and in a lot of uh, other countries, uh, there is a ton of posturing going on. Everybody's beating on their chest, and you know, I'm this, I'm that, and a nobody cares. B, you're 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 exposing your insecurities for for the world to see. So how about you go do the work on those insecurities so you stop having to you know, um, mark your territory, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of those things as well, dude, like, you know, a lot of people will happily talk about, you know, being tough and the, the violence factor in that. Whereas if you're a martial artist and then if you're a martial artist within law enforcement, you know the ramifications of what that can lead to. So A lot of times you're willing to step that down, whereas folk who don't have that training background, you know, will try and push for it. But when they're met, when they meet that violence, it's suddenly a mm-hmm. shock to them because it's something they didn't truly want.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're going to get more you know, if you put a coin in the jukebox. The song that plays might not be the one you selected, right? Exactly. And uh, I used to tell people that all the time and, and it is a reality and and here's another reality. There's people capable of handing you your you you know you're behind every street corner. Yeah. Every street corner somebody can 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 knock you out or somebody can, you know, it's it's a very dangerous game to play, especially in the law enforcement realm. So um, it also ties right into the other piece, which is the intellectual piece, right? Having that intellectual capacity, having the capacity to communicate, having the, the emotional intelligence, the self-awareness, having the self-regulating mechanisms, having all those things when you communicate so that um, you don't come across a certain way with uh, with the people that you're dealing with and you're going to find yourself needing less and less uh, force as it goes. And a little bit of patience really help as well. And, and I know we're not going to spend six hours on a street corner trying to negotiate with somebody that wants to fight. But uh, oftentimes we do have a bit of time, you know, to have to have those conversations unless it's extremely dynamic and we have to make a call right now or somebody dies or gets hurt, then that's a completely different set of circumstances. But take the time, take a little bit of the extra time and be a little extra patient and, and, and see where it leads you you know definitely
0: definitely. Um, i'm interested to hear as well dude just regarding you know you're saying you trained quite heavily in the uh, combats program you and your team just across canada i know it's it's a big geographical area in that and everything's different within each province but like with regards to you know departments engaging in in combats and you support stuff is it quite consistent through departments or is it quite varied through departments as well or you know how does management see it of like that risk versus reward of guys potentially getting injured and can't go on duty and that sort of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a really, it's a mixed bag, right? Depending on where you go, depending on the size of the organization, depending on who leads it, depending on what kind of knowledge base the, the people are in charge have, or the people that are below them that can actually educate them on how things should be done. Um, but what we are seeing is we are seeing a more and more, Uh, an acceptability that training combatives and training the various aspects of physical conflict is a positive, Mm -hmm. which is a big step in Canadian policing. Because for the longest time, as you said, it was seen as two things. If you train, you're a hoodlum that wants to fight. And if you train, you're going to get hurt, right? So if we can alleviate those two things, Um, And generally speaking, the people that are hoodlum that want to train to beat people up generally don't have the self-discipline to stick with the program. It's just they just don't. And sometimes they sometimes some of them might, but it's going to be a very, very small minority. So um, the reality is use of force complaints are going down as your members are more trained and more capable. Uh, use of force themselves are going down, you know, and and then you have your 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 follow up because there is a court case after whatever use of force, and there are repercussions to either perceived excessive use of force, or use of force at all that could shed some discredit in some very intricate and 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 consequential investigation, you know. So having the ability to think bigger than just what's in front of you is 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 extremely important what you did and the calls that you made based on the totality of the circumstances will have an impact along the way on other people on the public on the court cases on case law on you know and and it goes on and on and on yeah yeah so so i think it, it, there is a general understanding now in canada and as brazilian jiu jitsu and Primarily, but Brazilian Jiu Jitsu um, is 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 now wildly accepted as a as an excellent way to train our our police officers, provided that there's some bridge bridged gaps there with other things. Um, uh, you know, you you uh, it's it's getting easier and easier to get the approval. It's getting easier and easier to get budgets. Yeah um it's not don't get me wrong it, you know i don't want to i don't i'm not looking through rose colored glasses you're some some poor officer somewhere in a small town in mm-hmm. timbuktu or something that don't have access and there is obviously not the manpower to do it or whatever the case may be but um generally speaking uh, we're seeing there's even there's even a a police force that's coming up with their own jiu-jitsu club now, which is the coolest thing. Like, I would love to be in a police force where, hey man, there's a jiu-jitsu competitive club. What? Yes, sign me up. You know.
0: Yeah, and that, that's awesome to hear, dude. I know haven't shared the maths uh, before of guys in law enforcement. It's it's great to see that more and more people again involved in it. And it's just like I've said before that bridge with regards to use sort of force stuff of going from you know just initially putting hands on. Because if you don't have that skill set, then it's very much right. How do you escalate this quickly? And it's very much going to your tool belt for that sort of thing, isn't it? So,
1: hmm. Or attempt some sort of control uh, technique that is completely asinine and will get you in an escalation immediately yeah. and on the wrong side of it.
0: Definitely. definitely <laughs> yeah. well, honestly, uh, Seb, it's been interesting John to you as well about like, you know, your, your outlook on like you know training and, and mindset stuff and that and I know you, you obviously uh educated guy who's always ser- searching for knowledge and it's always I'm interested with all my guests to know what they're engaged in for their own development and education I know you mentioned before you know you're reading and um, Joseph Murphy's books at age nine and stuff so what, what are you engaging now in for your own education development um, and could you give us either a book an app or a website you use personally found kind of useful
1: Mm-hmm. yeah there there's a ton um I'm particularly interested in, in Jordan Peterson okay. um a big I I really I really enjoy um, a lot of the stuff that he puts out I don't think that everything he puts out is absolute gold because there is things that I necessarily don't agree with but I take what works for me what makes me a better person and discard the rest and and that's one of the one of the, the the people I've been listening listening to a lot. I also just finished a book um, on breathing, and uh, I should probably give you the right title since we're since it bears on this conversation. Just give me a second here. Um, I just finished a book called "Breathing for Warriors," and um, it's an excellent book um, that reinforces the principle of diaphragmatic. Breathing, breathing, which is the way that we should breathe anyway. Uh, often in a tactical world, it's referred to as tactical breathing, and it, and it, and it saved my life and the life of my guys and my the people working for us for years. Um, you know, in, in high stress situation, to have the ability to control your 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 output, your physical output, and your mental output, and just to make sure that you can excel or or perform at the at the levels, at the level at which you are capable of by keeping your systems under control so to speak um and and so that book did wonders for me it helped me through uh some medical you know issues and some pain and those types of things so i i i owe them greatly for that i also revisited the book of five rings which i had read last probably i don't know five years five or six years ago and What's interesting now is I started looking at the various interpretation of it, because there's there's plenty of interpretations of the of the of the Book of Five Rings, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, and a lot of them, some of them are contradicting each other slightly. Others are very consistent. And it's just it's almost like taking a book and looking at it from 19 different angles, um, 400 years later, and it's still relevant. Can I write a book like this, please? I would love to. You know, like you write something like this, and 400 years later, it's still relevant. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable work.
0: That's awesome, dude. Uh, I mean, it's a great book. It's a great book. I'm trying to remember who wrote my copy of it. I'll have to I'll have to look back into it and just see. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a book I haven't read for a while, but it's something I need to revisit. You know, what what uh, what what lessons do you take from it uh, this time around reading it, Seb?
1: Um, i'd have to look at what version i cuz i literally listened to four different audio versions recently okay. uh, i mean the lessons are from the, the tactically are are the same i mean you know cuz you you can only you can only repeat what was said and it's hard to it's hard to grasp what the author really meant when he's not when he's no longer around right so musashi of course does a great job of trying to establish what it is that he meant, but uh, but yeah, it's just it's just there's so much information in there, and there's so many nuggets of of you know yeah, this is how it applies to a different context or contextually dependent, you know, in business or 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 in the, on in, you know on the mats or whatever the case may be, it has relevance absolutely everywhere. So depending when I read it and what the timing is in my life. I may be applying it to a completely different context. So I'm rereading the same thing or I'm rereading the interpretation of it. And it brings me something different because I'm actually at a different place in my life where it's also applicable, but in a different way. So it's not so much that I'm getting more information or new information out of it, is that I now reallocate that information to current world affairs in the life of Seb.
0: Listen, man. Listen. Yeah. All, all excellent resources, dude. And I'll make sure I stick them in our show notes, dude, as well. And um, so it's been an absolute pleasure, chatting to you dude for anyone who's listening you know who either wants to reach out or you know find out what's going on next with you in regards to your life and where your business options are going and dude, you know what's the best way they can do that?
1: Yeah, so I you know I do business mostly, mostly on Instagram from word to mouth. right now, it's been sufficient, and I don't have a website um, yet, and I'm not intending to have one for the time being. Um, but my primary Uh, Instagram account is probably the best way to reach me it's the one that has notifications on it's the one that I probably uh, tend to the most and that is essentially um, Slav so it's S-L-A-V-C-C-M-D-R so Slav Cobra Commander is just my name some people, oh, you know, slave commander. No, 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 Slav. It's Seblavoi. That's my name. <laughs> <laughs> and Cobra Commander was my nickname on the teams. So, S, yeah. So Slav, S L A V C C M D R is my primary, and I have a Raven Strategic Instagram account as well. So Raven Strategic, common spelling. I do have an email, but um, it's probably it's probably safer to get me on Instagram. Yeah. I seem to have a. Uh, you know, as soon as I have a second, I'm on Instagram problem. So <laughs> might as well make it, might as well turn the problem into uh, into a solution. <laughs> nice, man.
0: Nice, dude. I'll stick them in as well. So anyone can reach out to you, Seb. Uh You know, once again, mate, thank you so much for being so gracious with your time, dude. I knew, I know it took us a, a minute to get things set up here, dude, but, you know, I'm very much appreciated to uh, finally get the chance to sit down and chat to you, dude.
1: No, absolutely. And thanks for continuing to do what you're doing, man. I love the show. Love it.
0: Appreciate that, Seb. Okay. Take care, buddy. Amen. Hi, guys. Really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Human Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. The continued support us can ask you to do me a simple favor. First of all, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me and please share the show. This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.